Subtle skills, big results. Welcome to the Ninja Selling Podcast. Hello, ninjas from around the globe. Happy June. Actually, I think this might be our second episode in June as I'm now looking at the list, but we're recording this in May. So welcome, everybody. Hope that you are doing fantastic and are ready for the last month of the first half of the year. Yeah. God, scary. It's amazing how time marches on at the same pace every day, every week, every month, and every year. I know we're getting off track very quickly here, Matt, but I've been looking at this lately. It's like the ways that time has moved over the last two and a half years. We have gone through periods where it's like you just like every day is dragging. Every day is like, yep, another day. And here we go. We went through that. And then we've now then gone through this pace of like, oh my gosh, it's morning. I got to get up. What? It's bedtime again? Okay. Oh, relativity is such a fun topic. We could we could spend a lot of time talking about time relativity. I could spend a lot of time. Or maybe we wouldn't be spending a lot of time talking about it, if you know what I mean. Depends how boring you make it. Or how you perceive it. Okay. Well, interesting comment about time because today, by the way, go to the Ninja Selling Podcast community on Facebook, facebook.com slash group slash the Ninja Selling Podcast. If you want to learn more about Ninja Selling installations, Ninja Coaching, and all that kind of stuff, go to ninjaselling.com. So since we're talking about time... Oh my gosh. That was like one of the disclaimers at the end of a like a car ad. <laughs> the end of a prescription drug ad. By the way, side effects might include... Oh. So time, we're seeing this play, and you brought up this topic, Garrett, which I think is a good one, and we're continuing our trend of talking about the market scooch. I remembered the word. So for those of you who remember whichever episode it was that I couldn't remember the word, Becky Brand, thank you, market scooch. So as we continue to talk about this, let's talk about the seller side of this, because homes staying on the market maybe a little bit longer, more time, and I'm doing air quotes, on the market. And you brought up, Garrett, hey, we need to listen to the buyers. The buyers out there are going to tell you everything that you need to know about your marketing or about your property, about all of the things, as soon as it hits the market. So let's dive in. It's funny. It's a conversation I haven't had to have with a lot of people in a very long time because the market has been going at this crazy pace. We haven't... Well, I mean, you still have always had to listen to the buyers, but it hasn't been a situation that I've had to teach to or coach to or train to in a while. We didn't have to listen very hard to the buyers because they were screaming at the door of like, take my offer. I think they want to buy the house. Do you think we should let them write an offer? So what's happening and in, in the people that I coach, there's conversations that are coming up of like, one is with pricing. Like I thought we should have priced it for this, but with this scooch kind of going on here, maybe we should come in a little bit lower. Maybe we should do this. And I always ask like, well, First off, what do the sellers want to do? Like, have you given them enough information to make a decision? But the, even the realtor who's providing the information is looking at and going like, I don't know. I don't know what is the smartest path here to, to go after. At which I've been reminding people, you need to listen to the buyer pool. And you can't hear the buyers talk until you are playing the game until you're out there. Now, you do need to be very, very, very careful. I'm not saying wing it, just be like, oh, we'll throw whatever price out there and we'll see what they say because you can collect damages very quickly. This is still a very fast moving market. But once that property hits the market, the buyers will tell you everything you need to know to be successful. And 
a lot of people have kind of lost that relationship by looking at the marketplace in that way. And I think there's a lot of agents that maybe have entered the marketplace in the last two years or even three or four years that have never had to even do this. Like we have agents four years in the business, Matt, that have never had to go through a marketplace that is, we have to pay attention like this and we have to look at it from this angle. Yeah. You think about it. Some of these markets were roaring right into 2020 and pause and then continue to roar. Well, it picked up pace, even got crazier. Oh yeah. Which, and it's just like, oh my goodness, we never even stopped. Right. Like they were strong. 2018, 2019 were strong, strong, strong markets. Things were moving fast. And then it was like, oh no, this thing is going to take our market out from underneath us. And it was like, no, we're just going to put the throttle down more. The Charleston market's a great example of that. There was like one little like two week period of like, oh, contracts kind of went away. And then the next, oh, looking at the historical data now, it's like, wow, that really wasn't anything. This brings up a comment that somebody had told me, Melissa Herdman actually in Kansas told me this. She said, you know, what's interesting is, is a lot of the contracts that she's getting now in her listings are from agents who she'd consider like real good professionals, people who've been in the business, seen a lot. Those are the people who are bringing the best contracts. And so it makes sense. Now, not to say that anybody who's new, who's crushing it, like you don't know what you're doing because clearly you do. You can learn this stuff really fast and you likely have been listening to buyers even while you're learning in a market where maybe you didn't really have to listen because they were screaming so loudly. And there's, they still are, Garrett, too. I don't want people to think, oh my goodness, buyers are controlling the market. Eh, I mean, I guess in some way, no matter the market, buyers and sellers are all in control in some form or fashion. I think it goes to like how we perceive it because we talked about this on setting sellers' expectations a month ago. Sellers are like, why are there not offers the first weekend? It's like, okay. So first we need to go back a month and listen to that episode so that you're ready to have that conversation. Then it's, what do we do now for that first week on the market, the first 10 days? Garrett, what information are we looking for from these buyers? And how do we, how do we get that? Is it just market data? Is it just, oh, this person didn't write an offer? Or do we need to be proactive and go ask some questions for these buyer's agents? There's two things here. I will answer your question, I promise. Uh, what are we looking for? I heard that question. The other thing you brought that I want you to write a note on, or I'll write it down, is new agents coming into this industry. Because you made the comment that it's the more experienced agents that are writing the better offers because they've seen more, they've been around more, they understand it better. I want to say as a new, we're not going to write it down. I'm going to talk about it right now. The new agents that are coming in, what I want you to realize the gift of this marketplace is it's going to give you experience faster than any marketplace I've ever been around. Where before, you know, I look back when I started in real estate, 34 months of inventory, 4% odds of selling in the marketplace. Like the chance of having the experience of writing a contract, you had to kind of wait for those moments. Like it was like, okay, I get a shot. Like, here we go. Let's see if we can make this work. And so I think that the learning opportunity for younger agents or younger by years in the business is so incredibly steep right now. And it's, and it's in a great way. It's just creating, you know, gaining altitude very fast if you really engage and watch and learn from the opportunities here, where it took a lot of these agents that are very experienced right now a long time to kind of get there. So sorry, Matt, I wanted to go back because that was like hot in my mind. Going back to your question, which is like, what are we looking for? Like, what are we trying to pay attention to here? And first and foremost is activity levels. And some of us are not used to, and I say some of us, because uh, I'm not a licensed broker as of right now, but the agents that I work with 
are not used to seeing their property hit the marketplace and all of a sudden it be a little quiet and go, well, what's going on? Like, what are we doing here? And this is the first part of listening. It's like the first part is okay, say, did we miss the marketplace? Are we priced too high? Because if there's zero showings, zero showings, the agents out there in the community, the buyers that are out there in the community have looked at the listing online and been, yeah, not even worth me going to look at. There are beautiful pictures online. It is staged amazing. I can see what the property is. I don't need to go by and take a look at it. That is a very smart buyer pool right up front going, nope, we're out. And that is listening to the marketplace first and foremost is we're listening for that. Matt, do you have any thoughts around that? I think the part of showing, if your market has a showing time, if you have access to that, if you guys use that to schedule showings, they publish the data. Like you can see like what are showings happening? So you can kind of see the hidden demand a little bit. I don't, I'm not going to say it's super accurate and you can lean on that to say that's true demand, but it's pretty darn good. And it's getting better as, I mean, I remember when I first experienced showing time, I was like, this is frustrating. (laughs) And now it's like, this is cool. So I would lean into that stuff too, to see like, is it just me that's not getting showings? Are there other properties not getting showings? Because maybe you can see if Magnet Ball is at play with that too in that initial launch. But no showings, that's information. That's something that we need to digest and understand. Like, why is nobody coming to see this? Getting that chance to go look at that data is absolutely amazing. Because I remember back in the day, I had to pick up the phone and call the other brokers and be like, what kind of showings are you getting right now? And I had to reach out to lots of them to be like, is it just us? Or is it this marketplace that's scooching or something going on? And more often than not, I would find that it's not the marketplace. It's my listing that we hit it a little bit high. And now, hey, look, I can now sit down with my sellers and say, look, this is what's going on. This is what's trending out there. We came on a little bit high. Now, if we have educated them up front, like we talked about on a previous podcast, which is educating the sellers, setting sellers' expectations, I believe is what we called that. If we set their expectations properly that this is what we're going to do as this property hits the market is we're going to listen to the buyers. Now we can come back and have this conversation with them and say, look, this is what we're watching right now. These are the showings that are happening out there. This marketplace is continuing to move. But as of right now, we went a little bit too high. We need to make an adjustment. And I'm a big one of adjust quickly. If you've missed the marketplace, you need to adjust quickly. Otherwise, you start accumulating things that will start to cause damage. Days on market, lots of things. Well, and the stress and all of that kind of stuff too, which is no fun. I do think sometimes you got to give, you you do need to give your listing some breathing room too to fully understand. Like if there's no showings in two days, okay, that's saying maybe something, but that doesn't mean we need to reduce the price on day three necessarily. You brought up the whole six day when we were talking before hitting record. Like that's a prime example. Oh, hearing more and more of like, yeah, we launched the listing. It's been really slow. We didn't even have any showings the first couple of days. Then boom, day six, seven offers, right? And good offers too. So listening to the buyer pool is two things. I think one, their actions. Two, you should call the other brokers. I think that needs to happen because I believe there is a mindset among buyers that they need to still overpay for things for sure. And they still are paying over list price for things not overpaying. We've had an episode on that one too. But they think that they have this mindset of overpaying and a lot of realtors out there still spread that message. In fact, I'm hearing that message coming out more and more among these conversations that are happening in offices of 
ninjas hearing about other agents talking about the overpaying, like, oh, goodness, stop it. But that is feeding into the buyer mindset. So we need to understand that too and factor that into our pricing and our positioning. So let's go back to like what we we're listening for here because the first thing I was saying was no showings. Like if you put it on and it's dead silent and we have no showings, that's different than showings but no offers. Correct. So like if I was to look at that 6-day rule and we've got zero showings and zero offers and we're hitting about day 6, I would be saying we need to move quickly. Nobody's even coming in to like touch this house and feel it and walk around and look in it. Yeah, it's time to start making a price adjustment. If we're three days and zero people have shown it and it's not a holiday weekend, if there's not something special going on or something weird, like zero showings, we need to listen really clear and be like, okay, wait, we need to figure this out. We might need to make an adjustment. Now, if we've got three days of showings and no offers, I would be like, we need to ride this just for a second. Because that's the second thing we're listening for is showings, but no offers. Yeah, exactly. And and at each of these stages, there's a variance of how far overpriced you might be being one of the easiest levers that you can use to your advantage to adjust your positioning in the marketplace. Because you're probably not going to adjust the condition very fast. You can't touch the location and a whole of other factors. Price is the easiest thing to move. And Jeff Otto, great appraiser in New Jersey, amazing company, twice a year does these market stat updates. All the realtors in the state go to these things. And he used to talk about how if you have no showings, you're probably 15% overpriced or more, right? Which is a lot. Now, if you come down to this, you have showings, but no offers, we're getting closer, but we're probably still about 10% off, which is still a significant. I mean, a $500,000 listing, that's $50,000 in terms of list price. So maybe it's not that wide right now, but the way I look at it, Garrett, is if you have that, listen, now we got to go into pricing on the bridge. We got to look at our, our bridge points. Where are we priced and where are the price points that would open up new buyer pools? Because three days on the market, six days on the market, the buyers out there have seen it. I have this theory of the magnet ball we've talked about where, okay, if you're not the best house on the market and you come on the market with other properties that people like to see and they go see that first. They might need to take some time to come back around and see yours because all the buyers were just all in on that one and they assumed everything else was gone. And they're like, ooh, you're still available. But the bridge that Larry talks about in the installation is where now you can open it up to new buyers that haven't seen it yet. So a price reduction makes it seem like a new listing to them versus just a nominal, hey, let's just chop 5,000 and go from 499 to 494. Nobody cares about that. But where you have to be very careful, Matt, is, is again, these are conversations I haven't had to have in a while, is there's a parade of buyers out there. The parade of buyers is going to see this property right when it comes on the market because they're anxious and they're waiting for that property to come on. And if we hit that market wrong up front, this is where we need to adjust fairly quickly if no showings, no offers, is that they attach those pictures, they attach the address, and they go overpriced that's an overpriced home and they stamp it in their mind with that. And it's dangerous if you come back, because as you said, the parade of buyers have gone through, they've seen the property. To get them to come back instead of waiting for the new stuff to come on can be a little challenging. There's some that don't circle back around, even with a price reduction, they go back looking online, that home pops up again, they go, oh yeah, that's that one that's priced too high. They don't go, oh look, it has a price reduction. Now it's priced correctly. They don't think that far 
<laughs> they're moving quick. They're trying to make their world work and make things happen there. Even though we say they are the most educated in the marketplace when it comes to knowing what's happening and what should be priced appropriately, but they've stamped it. It's hard to get them to come back. And this is why you want to adjust before the parade is passed through, because then you're waiting for new buyers to bump into it. Well, and that's why the bridge becomes so important, because then you'll have buyers that haven't seen it. And they're like, oh, look, this just popped into my field of vision. It's new to me. And by the way, I think a lot of people have a stigma with price reductions. Like, and this is where if you're listening to the buyer pool and like a certain segment of buyers doesn't like your listing, that doesn't mean another segment may not pay above list. So when you're looking at your list price strategies, if you reduce to a certain point that hits a bridge where there's a new buyer pool that's open to it, we can still then go back up. It's not set in stone that, oh, if we reduce, that means now we're only going to take that or less. It's a marketing strategy here, mostly. So you need to define the bridge because there's a lot of people listening right now that have no idea what you mean by bridge. So pricing on the bridge is pricing at the search points where people kind of set their budget around. Now, if you have a good realtor working for you, they're looking around the bridge. They're not doing their own searches at your bridge point. But let's say you're pre-approved up to 350000 So you might actually have your bridge set now at like three twenty-five because the buyer mindset is I need to pay over lists. I need some buffer in there. So if you're priced at three sixty, that buyer is not seeing that property. So now if we come to the bridge point of three fifty or three twenty-five, that buyer now sees it, right? They now see that in their search. So in a bridge pricing, we talk about pricing under the bridge. One of the more dangerous things that a lot of people don't realize is to price it at three forty-nine nine nine nine. Right. Because now you have the people who start their search at 350. And people do that, by the way, because they start looking around and they're like, yeah, that product is not what I'm looking for. I don't want anything in that. Now, again, if you have a good buyer's agent working for you, they will go and do the looking for you underneath the bridges and above the bridges. But a lot of buyers don't do that. And so the Walmart pricing strategy, I'm not a big fan of. It works great at Walmart. Let's just be honest. It works really good at Walmart. Great for a product that is like cash in your pocket type of product. Not like walking onto a street and being like, hmm, $499,999.99 versus $500,000. Ooh, man, I can't wait to save a penny. Driving by a car lot, you know, to have it at $39,999 feels so much better than $40,000. There's something psychological about it, but that's not how we search for cars when we're driving by car lots. And I do think that a lot of people will probably disagree with us on this. I think there is a sentiment of like, hey, a million dollars versus 990, like, ooh, it's under a million dollars, right? And it'll be marketed as such. But so, Matt, so let's say I have my buyer that comes into town and they're like, we want to search for properties in between 1 million to 2 million. Anything under 1 million is not, not our house. Challenges is that now this home that would be the lowest price in their search that could potentially be a lot of value of house doesn't even show up for them at all. And I think that happens more often than the former description of like, ooh, it's under a million, right? Yes, it happens way more because they're sitting around in their underwear at home at night looking at the MLS going like, what's here? What's here? Like, what, what's this house? You don't wear clothes on the couch. You just like, you get home and you're like, time to just rip off all my clothes. It's home. It's hot. I have no AC right now. It's 90 something. It's, yeah, no. Sit around in the evening doing that. 
And could somebody argue with like, yeah, last night I was looking at homes, me personally, I was on Zillow looking at houses and I just pulled up the map of Reading and I was like looking around at all the homes and just clicking on homes that were for sale. The difference is, is I was just like exploring my marketplace. I wasn't looking for something to buy. I could find some on there and go like, oh, look, that one's under a million dollars at nine, 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 nine. But if I'm going to put in a real search because I'm actively looking at buying, I will put in a a bottom price range in there because I don't want to see everything below a certain price range. Just it's not what I'm trying to do. Buyers are smart. And this is why we want to listen to them because they know the marketplace better than everybody else because they're sitting there looking at it all the time because they really, really want to buy, right? So they're they're looking at all the things. So they know that things below 300 is not one what they want to look at. They know that things above 300 is not going to be within their price range. And so they set their search criteria here. So pricing on the bridge is going to give you an opportunity. Now, I know some people say, well, what this website doesn't have a, the top end stops at 99999. It's like, okay, yes, I know. There's some websites, whatever. Okay. You're mostly talking to agents and I'm pretty sure your MLS allows you to put in whatever number you want. And agents are going on custom searches, 300 to 500 right? 350 to 400. That's what they're entering in. So pricing it on the bridge is going to give you the best opportunity to get in front of buyers and agents. So bridge pricing, is that clear enough? Yeah, very clear. So again, we went down a rabbit hole there, but I was, again, I was worried that nobody knew what in the world that was. I should mention one thing too. You don't always have to price on the bridge if the value is somewhere in between something. If you have something where you're looking at the comps and say, this is a 485, cool, awesome. You don't have to push it up to five. You don't have to bring it down to 475 unless there is a inventory opportunity, which you know what? We should probably just do a whole separate episode on bridge pricing. Yes, because as the price gets higher, the bridge gets farther apart. Yes. Because it goes on parameters of where people search. We should definitely do one on this because again, Matt, as I've shared with you, I had an agent in the $3 million price range started off just below it, lowered it down to 2.75, wondering why they're not getting any showings. She raised it to three based off of my suggestion and boom, had it under contract by the weekend. It's a crazy thing that happens, but 3 million was the bridge. She said, I asked her, I said, do people search from three to 5 million in your marketplace? She says, yeah. And I'm like, good. You're below that bridge point. They search from one to three and three to five. And it is marketplace dependent, which again is why we need to listen to the buyers now. So Garrett, we have no showings, what we're hearing about that. We have showings and no offers, what we're hearing about that. And then we also have offers, but no contract, no agreements going on here. And we need to listen to what those offers are, right? But we're watching some ridiculous stuff out here right now. In the last week, I've seen offers being written on properties, full price, and the sellers are literally writing counter offers, raising the price up because they're like, I'm not getting the, this is a whole nother topic that we can get to that. But it's like, but this is back to then negotiating these deals once they're sitting in front of us. Because here our buyers are putting these different offers in front of us that we haven't seen in a while. We haven't seen contingencies in a while. We haven't seen just one offer at a full price and going like, well, what do we do with this? Well, so it's a really good offer. It's the offers we've been dealing with for forever. But because we've seen this pace of this marketplace, we see that offer drop in front of us. We go like, what is this? This isn't good. And we don't even know what to do with it. We haven't 
had to negotiate these deals out. We haven't had to get into a really strong negotiation with one buyer or two buyers that we have in front of us that if we can't negotiate it out, we're back on the market starting over again. So the information we're hearing, like this is the first time now that we've had a buyer actually talking to us through a contract. We need to listen to that. Funny aside, it made me think I was walking through an open house one time and I overheard the listing agent in the open house talking to a colleague of her brokerage that was there about a different property. Like, yeah, we got an offer at full price and the seller doesn't want to take it. And the other agent said, don't they have to take it? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Like the, the training out here is mind-blowing, which means the negotiation skills must be even worse. And as a negotiator, right? And people say, well, this is what my seller wants to do. Part of the negotiation skill isn't negotiating with your seller. It's giving the seller the confidence that you have the skills to go negotiate these contracts on their behalf and pull out information. And so at all of these stages, at the no-showing stages, this is harder because you don't know who to go to. But at the showings and no offers, we, we have buyer's agents. We should be going to these buyer's agents and asking questions. Tell me about your buyer. What are they looking for? Right? Not just why didn't they like the home? They're, they'll come up with something just to blow you off. Like, you know, it wasn't for them. They want a bigger backyard. And you're like, okay, tell me about that backyard. Tell me about this objection. Contract comes in. Tell me about your buyers. Tell me about what got them motivated to want to write this offer on this property. Let's understand. Now, the buyer's agents, by the way, tight lips, okay? But a lot of times they're not. And as a listing agent, part of your negotiating skill is going to come in is how can we make sure we adjust the need power dynamic into our favor, meaning we have more power than need. Understanding why or why not buyers are writing on a house is going to help you then do a counter offer if you need to do a counter or try to come up with some other stuff or be like, hey, maybe this is the offer for us, right? As I said, Matt, these are skills and conversations we haven't had for a long time. What Matt and I are talking about here is not saying like, you're going to do this on every single transaction. There's marketplaces listening to this right now going like, yeah, I don't have to do that here. That's not our marketplace. What we're saying is, is that these are skills you're going to want to start to embrace because there are some signs of this little scooch that's happening. And who knows what this scooch is going to look like as we continue to go down the road here. But these are skills you're probably going to want to understand and you're going to want to get good at. Talking with those buyer's agents to find out what those buyers are looking for, that look that didn't write the offer, is a strategy that very few agents are doing out there or needing to do right now. It is something that you're going to want to come back to. It's the same reason, Matt, in this marketplace and whatever it's doing, that I'm telling everybody, go back to your warm list. Work on your warm list. Like You've got to be developing them right now. Because whatever this marketplace is going to do, that warmness is going to be your, your safety net. It's what's going to keep your business going at the highest level it can go. This is the same type of thing. We're just looking ahead and going, what are skills that we should have sharp and ready to go? It's like sharpening your ax. This is that kind of skill set. You need just to have it in your back pocket, but you have to use it or not right now. Have it ready to go because at some point in the future, I'm just going to say, let's say 10 years from now, you're going to wish you had that skill set ready to go instead of learning it in the moment. And here's the big secret. It'll make you better in any market, right? Like It's a shame that these skills aren't being used in a market where buyers are so crazy for houses that to get another $5,000 on that contract would be really easy. Like All you have to do is ask almost, right? So I would say to 
put a circle around this or a bow. We always say bow. So I'm trying to come up with a different phrase and it didn't work. Ask questions of the buyer's agents. Learn about the buyers that are showing and not writing. Learn about the buyers that are writing and listen to what that is to help you adjust your strategy with your sellers. Take that information. So when you go and talk to your sellers about, hey, we, we might need to make a price adjustment here. It's not just your opinion. It's here's what the market is telling us. Let's look at this information and make a decision together as a team because that's what you are with your sellers as a team. They hired you to be a part of their team and selling their house. Let's be a really, really good teammate and make sure we're bringing really good quality information to the table. And make it part of your strategy up front. This goes back to setting the seller's expectations. This is not like all of a sudden I'm changing my game plan and I have this like new thing we're going to try because we got to figure things out right now. It's like, no, I explained to this to them. I gave them a map of this is what's probably going to, what could happen. And here we are at this point right now. We're at this fork in the road. And I told you that this fork might come up and here's what we're going to do. I have a strategy around this now and here's how we're going to handle it. It's setting all those expectations, having a process in place, not flying by the seat of your pants, not winging it. And again, your sellers will roll with you if you set the expectations and you set the process in place. If you are scrambling or if all of a sudden you didn't set these expectations that this could be happening, you're going to have sellers out here going, what is going on? Did we hire the wrong realtor? They don't look at the marketplace and they look at you in this situation and go, there were showings happening for people and offers being written a couple of weeks ago. Why can't you perform on that? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. Got to get ahead of it. I don't want any of this, Matt, to be doom and gloom of what the marketplace is doing and where it's going. This is just being the best agent you can be to your, your sellers and your buyers. Absolutely. Like, no question. Appreciation is still happening. Properties are still selling. And we're going to talk about it in a future episode. Looking at the data with one of my clients in his marketplace... It was like, oh man, things are so changing. There's more inventory and all this stuff. And I said, well, how many contracts are happening? Like, oh, more contracts too. It's like, oh, okay, just checking. Yeah. So this is a skill that's used in any market. Just like we try to bring, Garrett, to everybody, all of you listening, information and skills that you can use all the time. Every now and then there are unique opportunities to lean into something that is unique to a marketplace, right? Like when you can't go have lunches, how do we adjust that? We talked about that. This is something that is just coming to us because of this scooch, but it, this doesn't have anything to do with the scooch. These are things that you should be doing. And it's interesting. This topic came to light because we work with approximately about 70 agents around the United States between Matt and I combined. And in working with those agents around the United States, there are things that come up. Topics that I throw to Matt, we don't just go like, oh, this is Garrett's topic and we should run with that one right now. Like I throw it to the arena with Matt, we kick it all around and be like, okay, are you seeing the same trend right now? Are you having the same thing happen? And when we can see enough areas that we're like, that is something that we are, we're both kind of working with right now and trying to help people through. Those are the things that come to light here. And so uh, that's the reason we brought this topic today. That's the reason I wanted to talk about it up front because uh, just seeing just enough of it come up out there through my people. So I hope it hit you at the right time. I hope you found value out of today and what we were able to share. Matt, I appreciate you tons as always. And I love doing the podcast with you here every morning or every you know couple of days. And if anybody wants to know more about Ninja Selling, go to ninjaselling.com. You can learn about all the upcoming installations and events there. You can also learn more about what we're doing in coaching there. You can also go to ninjacoaching.com, but you can definitely find us through the 
implementing the systems under Ninja Selling. And other than that, I appreciate everybody who's listening. As always, thank you so much. And until the next one, we'll be back. Thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like more, visit us at the ninjasellingpodcast.com. There you will also find links for more information about Ninja Selling and coaching. Have an incredible day.